Welcome to the Full Disc Aviation Podcast. Welcome to episode 13 of the Full Disc Aviation Podcast, the podcast for all things aviation and aviation photography. I'm Nick Moore, practicing my social distancing in Wichita, Kansas, and I'm here with my friend Nick Pascarella in New York City. How are you doing, buddy? <laughs> uh, doing my best to uh, do that as well, although it's not too hard when there's a rule that says we have to stay inside of our apartments. So, uh, you doing all right, man? Yeah, I'm doing all right. It's uh, it's cold and rainy, and I guess kind of the same thing. Doesn't really want you to get out of the house anyways, and I don't know. I think this is probably fitting. This is episode 13, so hopefully uh, episode 14 <laughs> will come with better world situations. But uh, Dig it. At any rate, I digress. Um, <laughs> you've had a uh, had a pretty long relationship with our guest, and uh, you know I figured, why don't you uh, introduce him? Well, hell yeah. Um, our guest today, you've heard him on each episode up until this point in the intro somewhere. We're here today with Richard Souza of Zulu X-Ray Photography fame. And he doubles as one of our resident storytellers here at Full Disc. He's got a very rich <laughs> history of aviation. He's a great friend on top of all that. From my aviation photography beginnings, he was one of the first to offer advice and assistance. He introduced me to the concept of prop art. He's been with me at some of my highest highs and some of my lowest lows, and he's never wavered. My man, Zulu, how are you this evening? Hey, now. Hey. <laughs> I've always wanted to do that. <laughs> How you guys doing? Good, man. Yeah, we're making it. Oh, that was glad that to was. Have a, you on. I'm, I'm glad to be here. Finally, I mean, it's uh, it's been uh, it's been listening to every, all the podcasts and everything, listening to uh, everybody come on. I was like, oh, when's when's my turn? You know, and uh, episode thirteen. How fitting. Lucky thirteen. <laughs> well, you're in the room, man. All right. Well, you want to start kind of at the beginning, um, like the earliest the earliest parts of your life that you remember around the military and your father, and can you explain that connection with aviation and the military? Well, that's that's going back a long ways, because, you know, for all of those that don't know, I'm the oldest one at Full Disc Aviation, so I'm already I'm already counting half a century on. Mm -hmm. um, so it, go, it dates back to uh, the Vietnam era, and um, I could, the, the vision that I have in terms of aviation was, we, my father was in the Air Force. He was, he was not a pilot. Uh, he was, at the time, working administration, and he eventually um, went into psychology, and he was a psychologist with the Air Force. Um, but I, we were living on Maxwell Air Force Base in, in Alabama, and um, I remember him taking me out to the flight line at night, um, and I still have this, this memory um, of these floodlights and a C-5 sitting there. Uh, in all its glory, and my father just said, "That's the largest plane in the world," and that's hmm. that was the beginning. That was that was you know for a little kid, and um, especially in that era, growing up, um, you know it was it was probably the the first vision or, or, or episode that I recall. You know, a plane. You know, that's cool. So. And then from there, it just it's just you know, being in the military, you 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 move, and uh, we moved to Torrejon, Spain, uh, outside of Madrid, and that was an F4 base at the time, and so um, it was very common for us to take the bus. We lived off base, and we'd take the bus to school, and as we would drive up to the to the main gate, as this you know the the, the Spanish MPs came on the uh, came on the bus to check for IEDs, and they they did that. And if you didn't have your ID, they would kick you off. <laughs> and um, then you'd always have a pair of F4s taken off every time we were pulling up to the to the to the base gate. So the 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 image that I have is uh, two F4s with uh, full afterburners taken off. <laughs> nice, something I've never experienced. Yeah, unfortunately, it's it, I never photographed it. You know, so it's just uh, it's the, the the photograph is kind of etched in my mind. Oh, did you ever did you ever want to fly watching that? Well, I think I think like every like every uh, kid growing up or most kids growing up, you know, anybody who looks at a plane and says, "Hey, you know, I, I like it," um, you want to be a pilot, and not, I, I'm no exception. So, um, yes, I wanted to be a pilot, like everybody, you know, and, and you 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 study it and I did the ROTC thing, and you know, I wanted to be a pilot. 
Um, and then I was at, uh, at the time we were living in Portugal, and I was going to a, a private school over there my last years of high school. And um, this one kid that was a year ahead of me, he, he got accepted to Emberville Aeronautical University. And he, I was like, what's that? And he told me about this place that was the Harvard of the Skies. It was this place that they put out more, uh, you know, uh, more Navy av aviators, you know, second to the academy. And so I was like, wow, that's, that's where I have to go. And so I applied and got accepted to Riddle, and I said, I'm going to be a pilot. And then I got to Riddle. Mm -hmm. And that's where I looked around, and I started seeing these future aviators and just the, the, that, that sparkle in their eye. And that's when I came to the conclusion I didn't have that sparkle. And so I realized that, you know what, um, I, don't, I don't have what it takes to, to, to be a pilot, at least to, to make a career out of it. And several things down the line proved it. One of them is motion sickness. <laughs> That's a deal breaker all the time. Um, but just there, there's just something in a pilot's eyes that I see that I know I don't have. It's hard to explain. I, I think I understand what you're saying. I feel like I see the same thing, and you do a good job capturing that. We'll get to that, though. How much influence did your father have on your direction well it, the, the, he had a, he had a lot he, i mean my father is probably my biggest influence and i think it's it's he 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 might not agree with the fact that because i didn't do everything he told me to do or how he told me to do it and um but i listen i always listened to what he had to say to, to me um you know he, he he taught me to be to be humble he taught me to be um just try to be genuine try to be a, a good human being and I think that is the, 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 the biggest lesson, the biggest, you know, gift that he could ever give me. Um, now, in terms of the, the, the career-wise, it was just, it was mainly the support. He, you know, going to Riddle, I was 3,000 miles uh, from home. And he dropped me off and he said, okay, here's the deal. You know, unfortunately, and we flew Space A. So we flew Space A. I mean, times are hard. And they sacrificed a lot so I can go to school. Uh, my parents did. And um, so when we got there after flying, you know, Space A, the middle, with troops coming from Bright Star, and uh, we ended up in Daytona Beach. And uh, he said, well, here's the deal. You could either study during the summer months and come home next Christmas, but I can't bring you home this Christmas. So this was August. He says, I can't bring you home this Christmas. So you can either come back home this summer or if you study through the summers, you'll get finished quicker. And so that was the decision I made. So I didn't go home and didn't see my parents for a year and four months. And throughout that year and four months, a lot happened. You know, that's where you, you I guess you learn to be a man, so to speak, because uh, you're on your own. And you, there's no cell phones back. Yeah, but back then there was no cell phones. You were writing snail mail letters, you know. <laughs> who, who does that nowadays? Yeah. You know, every time I'd rush to the to the my mailbox, you know, you look and you either had air mail, which is literally air, or you hit the mother load, which was like a whole bunch of mail. So that was kind of the way we played it. And uh, and every time he would write a letter, he would just write at the end. He would say, "Keep the faith," and those words are meant the world to me and at the end after it was all said and done I, I got through it and it was mainly because of every time he would write those words keep the faith that's, that's awesome, awesome. yeah are there any aircraft from that era at Embry Riddle that you're enamored with or that you think about like the F-172 yeah now we're talking <laughs> yeah something that you know comes up in your in your thoughts sometimes in a romantic way Oh man, it's um they they had they would have aircraft come by. Um you would occasionally they would the, the Naval Aviation Club would have some uh air, aircraft cuz we had Cecil Field up in Jacksonville. So we would get a lot of naval naval aircraft whether it be uh, uh helicopters or we had a one time an A7. We had the uh the P3 stop by. Um so for me it was it was it was like really cool because of the fact that many of those aircraft at least I hadn't seen fly. 
Uh, then they had Skyfest, which was the uh, which was the uh, the air show, uh, and and we would take the day off from school and work and just go hang out at the flight line and and just watch the aircraft come in the arrivals day, and it's probably the only time I ever did arrivals. I don't do them nowadays, um, just because it requires an extra day to be there, mm-hmm. and so we would just sit out there and and just watch the aircraft come in and and, and land and. It was the first time I saw the the F-14. It was the first time I saw the uh, you know uh, I believe the A-10 fly. Ooh. So we, we it was it was that that was an experience in itself. But in terms of what the other aircraft that they had, you know, you, they, all you'd get is a 737 flying in and out. You know, maybe you'd have a, a, a DC-9 fly out. You know, from the from the regional airport at the um, it was regional at the time. Right. Other than that, you just see a lot of 172s. That's cool. When did photography become a part of all this? Well, I've always been into photography. Uh, it started when I was probably around, uh, you know, we, well, when I was in the fourth grade, I was in this uh, this this multi-age, uh, they used to call it multi-age, which was uh, third, fourth, and fifth grade all combined in a special wing of the, of the school. And... Uh, I was in the photography club and or the audiovisual, and we made a box camera. And so I made my first box camera, and I put it connected to a cartridge of a Kodak Instamatic, and I took 24 pictures with that, and I gave it to my dad to develop, and I never saw the photos. So <laughs> thanks, Dad. Um, so I think he figured, you know, at the time. At the time, you know, getting film developed was expensive. I right. Mean, so it was like you you used to pick and you know, and I'm sure that he probably one of two things. He either said, "I'm not going to spend the money because this there's nothing good that's going to come out of a, a pinhole box camera um, <laughs> from the, in the hands of a nine year old." Uh, so I think he just probably said, "You know what? I'll save a couple bucks and, and go buy lunch." And but also he had a he had a. a a guy who worked with him who was into into photography and we did a trip uh to of of, of this place called guadalupe um somewhere close to the border with portugal and it was this little small spanish town and he brought his his camera gear and i was his caddy and so I, that's where i first learned what a telephoto was and 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 teleconverter and you know what the wide angle was and so he would say give me the wide angle give me this give me that and i had the bag and i would i would hand it to him and at the end he he gave me 300 pesetas you know and that's what those nowadays is probably what uh, a couple couple bucks um but at the time was 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 a substantial amount of money especially for 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 not even a teenager and i kind of got into it and so my father ended up also getting into it and he bought himself a new nikon and he gave me his his old uh, he had a, a virgin or virgin depending on how you want to pronounce it w um and he gave me that camera and so we did a tour of the city we lived in which is alcala de Henares, uh which is known because it's the birthplace of cervantes uh, who wrote don quixote so uh, mm. i lived literally we lived two blocks from the birthplace of Don, of Miguel de Cervantes, and hence the reason why I have a love for Don Quixote, <laughs> and also chasing impossible dreams. But um, and then we just walked around town and, and and photographed, and that was the first photo session. So my father, myself, and my brother um, did the first photo session, and of course. Here I am thinking in color, not knowing that my dad loaded black and white. So, <laughs> again, the expense of color film, you know. Um, and then when I went to Riddle, I, I had a Kodak Instamatic because I didn't want to take a big camera. So I had my, my Kodak Instamatic. And that's where, you know, some of the, the photos that I took that I post on Instagram that got rave reviews on Instagram. And I just tell people it was taken with a... Uh, a Kodak Instamatic, uh, but then I bought from the guy who lived next door. He had uh, a Yashica with three lenses, and he sold it to me for a hundred dollars, and I could pay him uh, twenty-five dollars a pay period because I was working at the time. And the first um, show that I, I shot was uh, Blue Angels in Daytona Beach. Do you remember what year that was? That was nineteen eighty-seven. Hmm. I was one. 
was five. See, so. you know, we have this. It's it's. This is how these guys put everything into perspective. Is when they say, well, yeah, I was I was one. I was five. Yeah, I'm old." We're just um, giving but, listeners some context. That's all. Yeah, but <laughs> but yeah, it was the first time. It was the first time I I had seen I'd seen the Thunderbirds, and and I remember uh, we were um, living in Maxwell the second time in uh, eighty uh, was eighty one. In 81, 82, 83, and um, that was when the F-16 came out and the, the, the Thunderbirds started flying the F-16. So they came out and sp- to speak to the Civil Air Patrol unit that I was part of, and um, yes, I was uh, in Civil Air Patrol. Uh, that's for all the air show of people. They're probably like, oh, no, he's a Civil Air Patrol guy. <laughs> and so You were uh, standing in front of all the photographers. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, we didn't, at the time, that's the weird thing. They, there was no air shows to go to. I mean, and, and I know they had one at Maxwell. They had one at Eglin. Um, but I didn't even go to that because I really wasn't into air shows back then. Um, and then once I was at Riddle, then I, there were at least two of them that, that, that I did go to. And the first time I saw the Blue Angels. And so it was, and one of the, actually one of the, the, my favorite shots of all time, which I've never been able to replicate, is, is, is from that era, which is all the tails lined up with the numbers. And, and it was just a position that I was in that I've never been able to be in that position ever since. Hmm. That's cool. Do you have a lot of those photos still? Um, I do. I, I, I do because um, I, I'm, a, I'm a photo hoarder, and, um, and so I had everything printed it was all all photos were printed and throughout the years i've had albums and i've since i took the albums uh and 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 actually stored all the photos wrapped them in in plastic wrap and i have it stored in my uh, in my house in portugal and so when i and we still have the, the 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 negatives so when i was when i was there a few years ago um i was walking to buy this photography store and I saw there was this deal on, you know, converting negatives. You know, it was uh, mm. was 80 euros for uh, 500 photos for 80 euros. And I was like, oh, that's a cool deal. So I started researching and find out here, you know, they charge a dollar to two dollars for every frame, which is normal. Mm-hmm. So that was a very good deal. So here I, I went through and I found 500 photographs and then the guy says well this is just a one-time deal so if you have more you better bring it now and i was about to come back to the to the united states because my vacation was ending so i stayed up all night looking for for photographs and and actually it was a buddy of mine that had to actually go pick up the dvd because i had already left and so he put it up on dropbox and i was able to get so i i've been able to digitize at least a thousand images from the film era that's awesome i'd love to see more of those do you have any that um, that you can think of offhand that really resonate with you? That one of the Blue Angels, I think I've I've posted it. I've posted the actual just the photograph um, on Instagram. So if you go back, it's it's the image of of a photograph on my uh, laptop, and you see the laptop screen. That's the that's for me. That to me is the the, the perfect lineup. Um, unfortunately, the negative it was damaged. I did scan it anyway, and actually, uh, my good friend uh, Craig Rembolt of uh, Tired Iron Photography has offered to it, the challenge of cleaning it up. So I, oh, wow. I just never, I've never taken him up on it. One of these days, I'll I'll send it to him. Um, that's that's probably the one that to me. Oh, th- th- of course, there was the the old uh, engineering building at Riddle, and they had there was a stair there was a staircase in the back and that's where we were there for the practice day and right in front of us was was parked fat albert uh, uh, was just parked right there and the number seven blue angel and one of them had an issue and so he had a land landed the plane and then got out of the plane and ran across the tarmac um at, into the number se- uh the number seven and then took off in the number seven. So um, I had that whole sequence of him getting out and running across the tarmac and, and and then getting into the other one. So I got some pretty nice shots. Just, you know, you had Fat Albert right in front of you. So it was the first time I'd seen that. But unfortunately, no Jado takeoff. So I didn't, there was nothing, oh. they didn't have that at the time. Um, but those are from, from that air show. Those are probably that sequence of the Blue Angels, that set. And I have one of... Um, the French Connection, 
um, which was a uh, flight demo, uh, husband-wife flight demo team, in a small like a chipmunk. Um, I'm not not certain what aircraft they flew, um, but they 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 perished in in an accident. I'm not sure what type of accident it was, um, but I have a, a photograph of uh, the gentleman inside the cockpit with one foot up on the on the side of the plane and the other one inside the cockpit, um, looking out. So. Those are the, the, the little small nuggets and little gems that I got somewhere, stored somewhere, from that particular air show. When did the air show thing kind of come into it for you? It, it came more, uh, it came recent, because at the time, uh, when I finished studying at Riddle, I moved back to Europe, and because uh, that was home. Moved back home to, to Lisbon, outskirts of Lisbon, Portugal, so a shout out to Kajish, which is the town that I lived in, Kajish City, as we call it. Um, and so we moved, I moved back and of course, uh, unfortunately at the time, the air museum or the Museu do Ar, uh, that you guys hear me talk about time and time again, and, um, I've written about it, the air museum in the uh, Portuguese air museum, it wasn't what it is now. So it was like, it was the old, the old pavilion, which is now one of the annexes, uh, in Alverca. And, um, they, that was all they had, and uh, there was no air shows. And when they did have an air show, you would have a, a crop duster, and you'd probably have maybe uh, some other general aviation aircraft, and maybe the military would show up with something. Um, so it was always they weren't not really into air shows. The general public over there um, didn't know anything about spotting. So I, what I did was just concentrate on on museums, and. I started to, I had a job, so I was able to travel, so I would start to travel different places, and I would try to find an air museum, and so we, I would, with my friends, we would come to the United States on vacation, because now, it's funny, because now I go to Portugal on vacation, but when I was there, I would come here and bring my friends from the guys I worked with, we would come out here to the United States and travel, and we would hit the, the museums and air parks here in the United States, well, I would kind of make the plan, or, you know, the, do the trajectory around, you know, like, hey, we're going to drive to Key West. Okay, so we got New York, we got the Intrepid, and then we got Washington, <laughs> we have the mm-hmm. Smithsonian, you know, pre-Udvar-Hazy. And, and so, so by the time, what, 2000 rolled around, I had like plenty of museums under my belt. And then that's where I went to something called Flying Legends. Mm. And the whole world changed. <laughs> so it's probably around uh, 99, 1999, or uh, that I went to Flying Legends. I think it was 99 or 2000. I went there the first time. I went two years in a row, and I went there. Had my 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 new backpack. I had a Yashik. I had a Nikon because my dad gave me his Nikon, and I had lenses. I'm like I'm. I'm gonna go. I'm just. I'm just the best damn photographer around. So I'm just gonna go walk right into Duxford and show everybody the way it is. How wrong! How wrong I was. <laughs> and I get there. The backpack I, I get there. I'm like, oh man, that's a big lens. <laughs> but it was just absolutely incredible. It just. You know, to see the, you know, that's where I saw planes. Like, I killed like a thousand unicorns in one day, um, mm. just by seeing the, you know, uh, the Spitfires, the 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 Bouchons, the, the they had the 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 oh, it was a Lufthansa painted um, Fokker Ju uh, no Fokker, I'm sorry, the Ju fifty two, mm. um, Sally B. You had Pink Lady was flying back in the day, and unfortunately, Pink Lady, which is a B-17, is no longer flying. Um, but that's you know, that's what I was seeing, and I was just like, oh, "Holy cow!" <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. And so the following year, I had to do it again. Of course, you kind of mentioned <laughs> that it was, you know, you thought you were going to be be all that and and uh, and show up and. We've all been there before thinking that we're, you know, at the top of our game when we're truly just figuring stuff out. But uh, did you have anybody, did you meet any people there that, you know, continued to be, you know, providing that mentorship? Or was it just one of those realizations that you picked up and learned later on? It was something I, I, I well, later, it, 
a lot of that came later on because at the time it was, you know, you have to see that we're talking to an era of an era where there was no social media. So there was no way that you could communicate regularly with somebody if it wasn't just through snail mail. Because uh, I didn't even, I don't think I had a, no, by then I had a Hotmail account, I think, by then. But I went with a friend of mine, um, Paul Leg, who's, who's, uh, uh I worked with him in, in, in Portugal. We became friends because we had that connection. It was very hard to find somebody in Portugal that you would have an aviation connection. And I had a very strong connection with him that way. Um, and so we would do a lot of, we would do the, go to the, the uh, Museu do Ar, the Air Museum over there, and we would uh, do whatever air shows they would happen to have, and we did Duxford twice. Um, and so he was he was the person that I would share with that and but we never really talked in terms of technique or anything like that it was just seemed that uh, I would just I was a, a an avid reader of of the aeroplane and fly past magazine so I, I would I would look at the pictures and I would buy these books that I would find on on sale about aviation in the in the bookstores over there and because that nobody would buy them so they would sell them cheap so that's how I got the majority of my collection and <laughs> I would look at the pictures and I could say I could do that I could do that and that was kind of what guided me were books um, I was a big fan of um, and, and I knew I should have written this down because I'm going to fail right now I think it's Keith Ferris the artist um, it was a um, aviation artist and forgive me if I got the name wrong but it was somebody that you know I don't know if you ever guys were ever read Airman magazine but Airman magazine would have like this artwork in in the back and that's where I see a lot of these images of iconic aircraft and and, and them flying and that so that was a lot of my influence I didn't have I didn't have a, a Google search to go to. So a lot of it was for Air Force Magazine, Airman Magazine, which I would get, um, or my, my dad would get, but also these books, and look at what other photographers that were published would do. And and I kind of said, I could do that. I could do that. I could do that. You know. And then that's kind of how my technique started and, and you know the angles and how I would shoot. And that's pretty much how I learned. That's cool. As the... Uh... The switch to digital been as dramatic as it sounds. It, it it was for me, and and for those, I mean, you guys know me, and and, and for those people, um, out there that that don't really know me, it's my technique is I shoot by the seat of my pants, um, and that comes from the fact that I'm the of all full disc aviation, I'm the least technical. Um, so I'm the one that, that you guys sit there and talk shop and you guys are talking shutter speeds and apertures and all this stuff. And, and I'm like, yeah, okay. By tomorrow, I'm not going to remember this, uh, which is a problem that I have. Um, and so hence the reason why I'm always asking and, and you guys probably say, man, this guy won't shut up. I'm like, Hey, what's your ISO? What's your, what speed are you at? Cause I'm also, I'm always trying to tweak it because with, yeah, the the switch from film to to digital was tough for me um, because of the fact that yeah, with with uh, with film, you just had to make sure that little that little uh, uh, stick was dead center on the meter, um, and you would turn this dial to make this go up, and turn this dial this way to make it go down, and the closer you are to center, the better the photograph is going to be. That's how I learned. So I go to I go to um, to digital. So I go out and I buy. I save up my my, my money and I buy a, a Nikon D three thousand. And probably about a weekend before the Reading Air Show, and it goes back to two thousand and ten. And that, so I've, I've that's pretty much when I started hitting the air show circuit. It was two thousand and ten because when it was when I moved back to the states in two thousand two. Um, I was shooting with a, uh, a I bought a uh, Sony Cybershoot Cybershot, 
you know, 2.0 uh, megapixels. And I'm sitting there taking pictures at museums with this thing, thinking that, oh, this is, this is really cool. It has a zoom and everything. And I look at them now and I cringe. <laughs> and uh, and so it was around 2010 when I when I finally bought the camera and I did a crash lesson and how to operate it. And I went in to uh, Reading for the first time um, and I was overwhelmed within five minutes. <laughs> There's a lot to take pictures of there. Yeah, and and that and 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 plus having a new camera, uh, so yeah. that that added to it. And I had my my uh, uh, I had a 200 millimeter kit lens, and look at my lens. I'm you know I'm I'm ready for everything. And then I see somebody walking around with I think it was uh, uh, the was the late Mart Rutke. Um, was the first time I saw him, and he has his 600 prime, and I felt really inadequate. <laughs> and so I, you know, here I am zooming with my 200 lens, and I'm looking at him. I get home, I'm cropping it. I'm like, look at that! I had sticky proc. It was. I look at him now, and I, I'm I'm trying to get the courage to post him because it's just that bad. Um, <laughs> And and I was shoot yeah I was the guy who was the you try to shoot a photo and I it was I shoot an automatic my flash is flipping up and so <laughs> <laughs> that was me you know I think we've all been there. Uh, that we yeah. have yes yeah. we don't yeah. admit it yeah sure we but do. for the yeah. listeners out there yes we we've all been there, you know well you were there for uh, for my beginnings you were talking to me about shutter speed and I was like wait. Huh? <laughs> that's that's coming for me. We've we've come a long way, baby. I mean, look at it now. It's like it's the opposite. Now you're the you're the uh, you're the teacher, and I'm the student. Um, well, it 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 got to. I was one of the things that I, I and I was still a lone wolf back then, and I say lone wolf because I was a nomad, um, and that's the 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 guy who goes to the air show, sticks to himself, doesn't know anybody, doesn't talk to anybody, and just roams. Uh, and that was me. And so um, I think probably, you know, nobody would talk to me anyway. You know, the first person I talked to, the moment you say, you know, they say, uh, you're shooting JPEG or RAW, and you're like, huh? And right there, it's, it's, that's the end of the conversation. Um, but I think the, the first person, and, and the other thing is this, people start giving out advice. They give you tons and tons and tons of advice, and you're not going to remember anything. So um, there was one particular guy who, of all the people, finally talked to me. Um, and um, and he was the first one to explain to me when he asked the question, JPEG or RAW? And I said, JPEG. He said, RAW. Always shoot RAW. And he explained why. Um, and, you know, and, and that, that piece of advice, then I, I started to then ask people for one piece of advice so if you had to give one piece of advice what would that piece be and that's how you build so every air show i would go to i would add one more layer one more layer one more layer and that guy was howard now i say howard because i don't remember his last name but anybody who shoots uh, he's also known as b uh, uh, h howard works there at BNH and he's he's a legend in this area because he's just he's just one of those characters but he was the one guy um, who actually gave me the time of day and you know he gave me certain pieces of advice and that stick with me today and they're, they're truisms and so then I started venturing into the manual and that I um, in two, probably around 2014 I started working with David Eckert um, of Air Museum Network, and um, I owe a, a, a huge debt of gratitude to David uh, because of the fact that that's what got me into the storytelling business. And he gave me the basic settings for shooting props in in um, in, um, in manual. So you know, 250, 320, depending, you know, and then drop it from there. And so that's when I started getting into. So by the time that Nick, uh, you, uh, or I should refer to you as Broda, <laughs> <laughs> by the time that you 
started uh, chatting with me, yeah, I had some some notions. I was able to give you my basic elementary advice uh, when it comes to shutter speeds. I mean, you got me pointed down the right path. I remember uh, you suggested 180th and the sky typers flew directly over our heads. And I got a really nice shot just from that. I was pretty stoked about it. But that was the first time I really understood it in that way. And you helped me understand that on the hill at Reading. Wow. That was in 2017. Wow, I do. I sometimes I, <laughs> I surprise myself. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've got, you know, everything before that, everything was, you know, open the aperture to what you feel is best and let a rip. So I've got planes flying over the Brooklyn Bridge at one sixteen hundredth of a second. And, you know, it, it looks like a toy plane up there above the bridge with the, you know, the prop that's not spinning. I just hadn't thought about it. Yeah, and, and it's it, it, it you learn you, you yeah. learn and and you start to now with social media with Instagram Instagram was 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 a big revolution with a lot of it and that's how we all met eventually you know and and that was the beginning of full disc aviation so it was through that and then you know meeting other people and starting to talk more and so I'm able to transmit what somebody else told me it's not my idea it's not my it's not my um, Oh, it becomes yours, in a way, you know. Yeah, but it's you know I'm not I'm I'm not reinventing the wheel. I'm just sure. passing on passing on advice, um, and so it, it it's helping somebody else because there was nobody there for me, and, yeah. and I think we've all been in the position where we ask some guy a question and they just look at us like you know what you don't know. <laughs> and yeah. and we all yeah. know these we all know who these photographers are you know those yeah. who are not who are not gracious. And so to be able to, 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 to be lucky enough to find a, a few of them that were gracious enough to talk to me. Um, and then from there, and, and you know, just, it just grew. Yeah, I think that's, that's kind of our, I mean, it's, it's not our mission statement, but it kind of almost is our mission statement at Full Disc. It's just, you know, like just a group of people that enjoy, enjoy doing this and we want to help each other out and help others out. And there's no secrets. It's not you know, this, you know, good old boys club or anything like that. And, you know, I mean, you, you're kind of the epitome of that rich, but it's, it's just nice to, you know, if you got a question or, you know, I can't tell you how many, how many times on our Instagram thread, there's been, you know, somebody that's reached out and, you know, gotten four or five answers in you know, two minutes on other people's opinions on how to, (laughs) how to best accomplish the goal. And I mean, how cool is that? Yeah. You know, in a in a world where there was a good old boys club and, you know, you had to go to seminars and, you know, be somebody's intern for four years before they would turn the keys over to you to, you know, take a shot and things like that. And that's just, it's kind of, it's unnecessary. This is something that's fun. It doesn't need to be a major competition or, you know, it's it should be kind of a, you know, a race to the top, not a race to the bottom, I guess. It's art we're making and... It's we're we're seeing this through each person's, you know, individually colored lenses and, you know, sharing information doesn't necessarily turn someone into you. It just gives them another piece to shape their own vision with. Uh, And and that's so true, brother. I mean, it's, you know, yeah, because look, just let's just use you and you and I as an example. So you take what I told you. And you applied it, and it, any, anybody who looks at my work and looks at Nick Pascarella's work sees a clear, distinct personality in each one. Yeah. Um, so it, it's, it becomes your personality. It, it becomes part of you. So as you take little bits and pieces, and it and it's ever evolving. I mean, it's you know I started out. If you look at my early work you'll see that it's very bright it's very you know very saturated very a lot of you know exposure is a little bit higher now you start to see a little darker tone um and that's by that's because of people's influence yeah you know and and you look at their work and you say i dig that and so how do i apply that to what i do and and the more you you play around and and a lot of it when I when I'm working, you know, especially editing stuff. If you ask me, how did I do that? You know, I see you guys. First of all, you guys post you guys post pictures and you have your settings, 
you know, you don't want me to post my settings because if I post <laughs> my settings, you're going to be overexposed. And that comes from the fact that, you know, Howard once told me, he said, don't be afraid to overexpose. You could always dial it down. You can't necessarily dial it up. And that's true. And I, I remember when David gave me a setting and I put a manual, and I think it was Andrew McKenna was flying uh, uh, his uh, P-51 over at Reading, and I was on the hill. He was taken off, and I, I shot it at, at a... At a, at a well, it was when I looked at the photo in the back of the, the, the camera, it was just white. And I overexposed. <laughs> so when I opened it, and I had started shooting raw because Howard said, start shooting raw. And so when I, when I pulled, uh, pulled it up on Photoshop, I pulled the toggle down, and it just said, pow. It popped. It was right there. And I said, oh, my God. It, it's so true. And so those little pieces of advice, you build upon it, and that becomes your personality. Absolutely. Talking more about your uh, full disc work, um, I wanted to hear more about the uh, some of the photography that you did with the, see if I get this right, Força Aérea Portuguesa? Yeah, that's pretty yeah, good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. <laughs> <laughs> and some of the, uh, some of the guys you met over there and some of the work you did in the simulator, can you tell us about that? Well, yeah, I, I mean, I I go there. The 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 new they opened up the, the Museu do Ar opened up in um, in um, in Sintra, um, where this the um, BA one their bases go by B, BA and then a number which is Baza Aérea, which is air base. Um, and and Sintra is a World Heritage uh, um, town with a, a with a. a the Sintra Mountain with a, a Moorish castle that dates back, you know, God knows when. And there's a palace up there too, so they both face each other. And uh, this this base is located out by the, you know, amongst quarries, um, marble quarries. And the, Air, the Air, Portuguese Air Force Academy is there as well. And so it, it's so close to my house that it, it's it's very common for me to go there. Like when I'm there, I go there during the week. And it's it's a museum that has a very eclectic collection. Because if you understand the, the Portuguese Air Force, you'll know that you know they they acquired little bits of everything. So they, they never were one of these these countries that produced their own aircraft. They didn't. They never. You know they would get whatever they could afford. You know. And since there was because of the the regime at the time was uh while they were during the war they the world war ii they were neutral it was a fascist country um and so they did have uh the like the ju-52 but they also flew spitfires you know That's so cool. they flew they flew hurricanes <laughs> they flew they, they you know they used everything and anything that they can pretty much get their hands on and as they matured you know and, and they have a, a they are part of aviation history in the sense that um your first your first crossing of the south atlantic was done uh by admiral uh, gacotinho and, and captain sacuduro cabral um they did the crossing of the south atlantic um but nobody hears about it but they were testing a new sextant and that sextant that they produced was a sextant that was used um in the industry up in, well into the 30s but anyway so the, 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 the Air Force then matured and um, um, they started flying, you know, F-86s and, 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 uh, and because of the situation in Africa with the colonies, um, NATO said you cannot use the F-86s in, in, the, in the colonial war, in the overseas war. So they resorted to using, getting um, uh, G-91 uh, Fiats from the Germans, from the Luftwaffe. And so that's how they acquired that aircraft. Um, and then when they retired the the um, in the in the 1980, I think they retired the um, F-86. They acquired the A the A-7. So you have this eclectic blend. So I like to go there and just see all these little different aircraft and say, well, how could all these different aircraft, you know, be with one Air Force? You know, it's just a very it's a it's a it's um, just interesting to see. And 
so it was through there that I, I reached out to them and I said, you know, hey, for Air Museum Network, um, who I was writing for and still write for, um, I want to do a piece. And then I know that they have the their, their primary training squadron, the Air Force's primary training squadron. And, there is, and in the request, I also say, well, if there's a chance that I can, you know, visit the training squadron, you know, if that's possible. And through a connection, uh, um, I was able to get to get somebody who then I corresponded with, and then they they actually set everything up, went to the base commander, and not only got me access to the museum, but you know, but they also got me access to the base. So the first day I went there to the museum, toured the museum with them, and got to see the restoration hangar and so on and so forth and completely free access anywhere I wanted in the museum. But the next day, I was going to have a tour of the base and the base facilities and also um, to the training squadron. So when we got to the training squadron, it was very interesting, and, and I write about it in the story that we, that we, that we published, was the, 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 the major who was the, the, the commander, he didn't understand full disk. He didn't understand the whole concept of FDA, full disc aviation. I don't understand what, what you want from me type of deal. And he, he had that air of, you know, that fighter pilot was an F-16 driver, so he had that air about him. And so we, I tried to explain to him about spreading the passion. You know, you know what our spiel is. And <laughs> that's when I, I tell the story. I looked at, he had this uh, this cabinet with all sorts of, you know, Medals, plaques, and stuff like that from the squadron, and in there was this this brass control grip mounted on a marble base. And I saw that, and I said, I pointed at it. He goes, "Yeah, that's a, a control grip of a, of an aircraft." And I said, "I know." I, I do, and I say, "May I see it?" And he pulls it off the shelf, and I said, "I turn it around. I said, it's got to have a felt bottom." I turn it; it had a felt bottom to the marble base. And I told him, I said, do you know the story behind this? And he says, no, it's been, it, I came here, it was already here. I said, my father made this. And he looked at me, I said, yeah. I said, my father was an was a English instructor at the academy, and he had somebody of the family forge, uh, make a mold and forge this out of brass, and, mount, and he mounted it on marble bases, and he would sell it to the officers at the Air Force. Whatever attitude that this major had was gone. And he goes, now I know what you want to see. Come with me. And he took me down to the, to the ready room, you know, where they have the helmets and the, the flight gear, and then eventually took me to the simulator. And that was, again, go back to my riddle days and explain him about being a pilot uh, or not being a pilot. Motion sickness. This is a non-moving um, simulator of an Epsilon, which is a tra French training aircraft, and there's this 108, almost 180 degree screen, and yeah, it, it, it takes. And he goes, it takes a lot of getting used to, it, and there are people who get out of walk out of here sick. Well, I didn't get sick, but he says, hey, do you want to you want to fly it? And I said, sure, why not? So I got in, and of course I could, couldn't take off, so he had to help me take off. That's how much of a good of a pilot I am. And so I, I kept it steady and banked around, did a bank, and then uh, he said, you want to buzz the tower or you want me to buzz it? And I said, no, nah, you, you go ahead, show me how it's done. And so he, he buzzed the tower, and, and then I got to meet the uh, eventually meet the uh, air boss at the tower <laughs> so say hey we buzzed you in the simulator um, but that was it was a cool experience i mean they were you know they gave me a handful handful of goodies you know and uh and uh you know i'm i still correspond with the, the my my two guides uh actually one of the guides that was with me just completed his t38 qualification in uh here in, in the united states in, in texas so i was very proud to see him pre uh, pre-jet uh, qualified to now jet qualified. So That's really cool the way it came about as well with your family's connection to that. That's, that's a really great story. Well, the, the, the family connection is deep. I mean, as you know, and I, I recently posted about this the other day and, and you know, being at, being at in Maxwell, at the time they had allied officer schools and um, we would get 
officers coming in, and they, you know, from different nationalities. It wasn't just Portuguese. But obviously the Portuguese figured out, hey, here's this guy who speaks Portuguese, who's my father. And so they would they would just kind of like come hang out and, and spend time with us. And we would basically guide them and tell them, you know, where to go. Kind of, kind of like a sponsor almost, but we weren't officially sponsors. And, uh, and then from there, um, you know, when we came back to, the, moved back to Portugal, we kept in contact in, with them. But there was that one in particular, um, um, that uh, that one family that you connect to and you bond to the most, and that's probably had more to do with with me having an affinity with uh, with the Forceria Portuguesa, and that's Fernandesiabra, uh, and that you know he passed away last year, and um, when we were at the New York Air Show, that's when I got the news, and I'm still to this day, it's still it's still hard, it's still hard to deal with. I'm sorry. I'm just glad you guys were there. Trust me. I mean, that that meant the world to me. Always, man. So I've got a couple questions for you before we wrap up here. Uh, Talk to Nick and James about the Canyon. Uh, Talk to Rob last episode um, about his opportunities trying to shoot some low-level jets. And you also gave it a shot. You want to give us the the quick nickel tour of your experience (laughs) doing that and what you tried? Well, yeah. Uh, I mean, my biggest fears came true. I've been, I've been, you know, we, we there's the trifecta of the trifecta of aviation photography is the canyon, the mock loop, and X-Alp. And I figured, you know what, uh, nobody's done it yet, at least from the full disc aviation group. And being that I have a home in Portugal, I could easily base myself out of there. And, and in terms of expenses, um, it would it would make it easier. If so, if if it didn't work out, um, because if if you know anything about XALP, you know that it's the live fire exercise of the Swiss Air Force, and it's it's not necessarily an air show. It's not necessarily. I mean, they do allow public. They do cater to the public, but they're not bound by the public. So it's not like there's tickets that they have to honor. They if something happens, they cancel. Um, so. I kind of planned it out and, and made my way up there, and everything was, well, the, first of all, just make sure you put the right address in the GPS, because uh, <laughs> I ended up driving for hours, and uh, and then I get to the town where I guess that's what the GPS said was the hotel, was, which is Brains. And um, there's no hotel, and then I find out that I'm two hours in the, in the wrong direction. <laughs> So by the time I got to the hotel, uh, it was like they, they, they taped the key to the door because they close, the reception closes, so they taped the key to the door because I called <laughs> the lady and said, hey, I'm, I'm like two hours, I'm lost. And, and of course, it's in, the, it's in the German canton, the German-speaking part of, uh, of Switzerland. So, of course, nobody speaks English. So first... first um, uh, tip is make sure you have a phone that's charged with Google Translator. So I get to the hotel and then I wake up the next morning. I got there at two o'clock in the morning, so when I wake up, you know, it's kind of you know, open the window. It's just stunning. The the beauty of the mountain right in front of you and the lake. It's just absolutely stunning. And so then I was it was already too late to, to do anything. So it was the first practice day. So. I saw the bus by the train station, which was only a block away, and so I said, you know what, I'm going to go find the air base, uh, Maringen. So I, I went and I found my way around into the into the base, and it's really they're they're really cool about it. They have, they have a rooftop, they have a cafe, and on top of the cafe is an observ- observation deck, and you could just walk right in. They don't no hassles, no questions, and they were sh- uh, shuttling a long line of people up to the mountain. And so I sat there all day shooting pumas, and I caught the uh, hornets landing, um, and then I caught them taken off again. And the, and the Petrus Swiss came in at a very high altitude. I was able to photograph them as well. The next day was a wash because they knew that it was going to be bad weather. So uh, the practice day, I was on the ground 
the first day of the event was canceled because of weather. The next day, the weather was absolutely going to be pristine. It was going to be gorgeous. So I wake up 3 o'clock in the morning, get all, you know, layered up, and I was all geared up to do the trek up the mountain. To, so, But I was going to go to the, the train station to catch the bus, and I go to my phone and... Robert, our, our Robert Griffith, sends me a message. Sorry, bro, they canceled it. They found a crack in one of the uh, ailerons. And this was like at 3 o'clock in the morning, 4 o'clock in the morning. Yeah. So I was just like, you got to be kidding me. You know, this is literally the, bri the a bridge too far. I mean, it was, it was <laughs> I was that close. Uh, um, but the lessons learned, the lessons learned are don't go to Exalp. Go to Switzerland <laughs> when they're doing the event Exalp because <laughs> the country is absolutely gorgeous. And if you go with that spirit, you go with the spirit of, hey, I'm going to go to this place which happens to have an event going on. And because if it doesn't happen, you're not going to be disappointed. Because there's other things to do. So I, I did a train ride up the mountain. I did a boat ride on the on the lake. So I did stuff that I probably would never have done. And I just enjoyed the beauty of it. Being on top of a mountaintop, cold as hell, looking down, just to say, these are the Alps. This is beautiful. And then you see a hornet fly. Because, you know, yeah, the, 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 the planes were grounded, but not for policing. So they were still policing. They weren't doing high G maneuvers in the, in, in, in the mountains. But there were a few people that managed to make it up there and uh, on the practice day, and those were the pictures that were leaked for that year. So, well, what a great attitude to have for that, though. I mean, I think we're all we're all struggling with that right now with everything that's going on in the world with the COVID nineteen epidemic or pandemic or whatever it is, and you know, just kind of goes to show you that you know we are so blessed to be able to do the things that we like to do and. You know, right now there's a lot of people that are struggling and, and, um, you know, I just look at it, you know, they keep canceling air shows and it's going to make for a challenge this year, but you know what, we've gotten to do a lot of really cool stuff and eventually it'll come back and we'll, we'll get back to it. So, I mean, I just, I'm looking at it like, you know, if anything happens this year, that's just going to be a, a total bonus compared to, you know, how things are looking right this second. So I, I just, you know, kudos to you for, for recognizing that you know, it wasn't a missed experience. It was, it was an experience in itself. Oh, absolutely. And I think, uh, Broda, you just went out to, to California and you probably, you probably the, the, the only one of us all that will have any images for this year. But quite frankly, you know, I've been on the circuit for 10 years. Uh, this will be my uh, 11th year. And if you, those who know me know that I'm not a, a one, one, two, three show uh, guy. Um, I mean, I on my 50th birthday, I did my 50th anniversary tour, and I hit 26 air shows and events. Um, so yeah, I, I I'm kind of air showed out, and so the this is kind of an opportunity, and this is how we have to look at this: is let, let them cancel the the entire season, let them cancel the whole year, um, because I think that number one, it allows us to catch up on a lot of stuff that that we've produced that we haven't been able to put out there it allows us time to develop that story to develop that that idea and say that concept and say hey let's slow down for a second that's always been one of the issues is that the the, the you know this whole thing full disc aviation has been a whirlwind it's been fant a fantastic adventure but by the same token you know we all have we all have other lives too, and and it becomes very a very complicated juggling game to juggle our private life, our personal life, and full disc aviation. Um, but we do it because we love it, and I think now it's it's just it's it's refreshing just to stop and and not do anything. Um, you know, professional life. Thankfully, I'm able to continue working, and and I feel for everybody that. Uh, that because of the circumstance um, are unable to, um, but look at the, you have to look at the bright side. There's no other. There's no other option, and the bright side is that out of this, there's a story. There's something in buried in your disc 
in your drive that you've neglected that you haven't seen and you know while it doesn't pay the bills and I know it doesn't but it gives us it can give us some certain of comfort that we could produce something and we could be useful and we could be productive um, even in a situation in time of in a time of crisis um, so what air shows they'll be back you know if yeah, not we'll, we'll find something yeah that was that was definitely very well said and you know kind of to parlay into that I think it's now time for the tip of the show and normally the tip of the show is one of those things where we just pass on a simple tip that uh, maybe we wish that we had a, that somebody would have told us sooner um, this episode's tip of the show I'd like to just um, kind of go off the rails a little bit and maybe call it a challenge of the show um, all of us aviation photographers you know like rich just said you know we're gonna be most likely without a lot of new content this year and I take that as an opportunity to better your craft in the editing room. Um, so I challenge everybody to go out and learn something new. Uh, you may be a, an absolute Photoshop whiz. If that's the case, do something learning some video editing. Um, if you're just a Lightroom user, I encourage you to go and pick up the uh, version of Photoshop that you have and learn one thing new. And once you've got that figured out, learn the next thing new and just try to hone your craft and, and challenge yourself, you know, try to learn what others have done and just make the best of it. I think that's the best thing that we can do right now. Um, take, take old photos that you really liked from eight years ago and put a new spin on it. Kind of tried doing that at the, uh, the first of the year with my new year, new edit hashtag challenge. And, um, that was fun. you know, it was just at least for me, it was something fun to do to, you know, take take some of the the winter content that I had and and learn something new, and and try to push myself. But uh, I think as far as that goes, you know, while we're all kind of locked inside, I just wanted to extend that challenge to everybody and and uh, look forward to seeing what everybody comes up with. No, that's well said. I mean, I, and I think that there's 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 a lot to be. I I did that recently. I took a, a photo of a of a, a Vulcan and a bomber, and did something totally different. Don't ask me to do, if I could do it again because I probably couldn't. Um, hmm. But it, it you know, in, in Kevin's challenge in the uh, aviation photo challenge, it was photo of the photo of the shot of the day. Um, so it, it's. Definitely, there's a lot to be said about that. I mean, yeah, go back there, redo things, and just do give a different twist. And and my tip is always, and if you know me, you know it's my motto: just dare to be different. You know, don't 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 follow the pack. Just be your own person. Do it your own way. Um, there's no there's no norm that you have to follow. Um, just be as if it works, it works. If it doesn't work, it doesn't work. At least you tried one fails forward towards success, you might say. Yeah, I absolutely. Mean, I agree. Well, on that note, I think this is going to do it for this episode. Zulu, thanks so much for taking the time out of your day to join us. Uh, would you like to tell the listeners where they can find your work? Well, uh, you could find me on Instagram. That's probably the, the, the best place to find, find me. It's uh, Zulu um, underscore x-ray, no, no hyphen underscore photography zulu x-ray photography um i also have a facebook page zulu x-ray photography but unfortunately i don't post as much there because i'm social media challenged um so just getting to post on on instagram is 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 hard enough but you can find my work on airmuseumnetwork.com and of course full disc aviation so and how about you mr nick next class i and uh, you can find me at gravity.images on Instagram and Gravity Images on Facebook. If you just search that, you'll find two of us. I'd be the one with the airplanes. And uh, with that, I just want to challenge everybody in the tough times that we've got going on right now and ahead. Be good to one another. Uh, there's a lot of people going through a lot of stuff. And, um, you know, it doesn't help if, if we're jerks to one another. So Amen uh, to that. be creative. Be good. Listen to what people have to say. Do your part, and we'll get through this. And uh, you know, hopefully, by you know some other episode, fourteen, fifteen, we'll be looking back at this and laughing about it. But uh, I think uh, we got a little, little bit of work ahead of us. Yeah. So, 
Just be safe. Be safe. Yeah. Absolutely. And take be care. Good. Take care of yourself. Take care of others. And um, help each other. Help each other. And with that, we'll see you next time on the Full Disc Aviation Podcast. Full Disc Aviation is a group of aviation photographers and enthusiasts that are passionate about sharing our love for aviation with you. Visit our website at fulldiscaviation.com for exclusive interviews, stories, and photo galleries, and follow us on Facebook and Instagram for frequent content updates. Also, please leave us a review in iTunes. We always welcome any feedback that can improve the show. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time on the Full Disc Aviation Podcast. And don't forget, Full Disc begins at 160th.